we all live out these secular liturgies that are forming us mm -hmm. if we just do whatever our culture suggests or expects of us. Um, what we need to be doing as people of faith is actually engaging in counter liturgies that try to push back against the these these kind of standard digital routines are are really directing us away from the kingdom of God. Right? We want to practice things that kind of direct us back. <laughs> A podcast to saturate your faith with the things of God so that you might saturate your world with the good news of Jesus Christ. My name is Travis Michael Fleming, and I am your host. And today, we're having another one of our... Deep Conversations. A deep conversation with scholar and author Felicia Wu Song. What is your story? What is the story that you are trying to follow? I mean, who do, who do you want to be like? What is the story that you have in your mind that gives you a dream of what you want to be? Now, let me ask you this. How much of your story do you think is influenced by what the world puts in front of you day after day? How is it trying to shape you? And if it's shaping us to be a certain way, is that God's way? You know, the world... We consider the world this fallen system with its fallen values. How is the world trying to shape you to think, to behave? If it is shaping us to be worldly, what then are the practices that we can put into place that counter shape us? That's what we're going to be talking about today on Apollos Watered. My guest is Felicia Wu Song. She is a cultural sociologist of media and digital technologies, currently serving as professor of sociology at Westmont College in Santa Barbara, California. Her publications include Virtual Communities, Bowling Alone, Online Together, and articles in such scholarly journals as Gender and Society and Information, Communication and Society. We are discussing her most recent book, Restless Devices, Recovering Personhood, Presence, and Place in the Digital Age. I like the three Ps there because as a pastor, I always want to use some alliteration to keep it in our mind. Personhood, presence, and place. Today, though, on the show, you're going to hear some terms like industrialization, the narratives or the stories we tell ourselves, and things like liturgy. Now, oftentimes when we use the term liturgy, we're using it in reference to religious services, the, the liturgy of the service or the kind of order of service. Some of us might be from what we what would be considered high church backgrounds, which means that there is a really high form where you are standing and sitting and bowing and kneeling and there's incense and movement. And, and that's a certain kind of liturgy. Others of us are from what is considered to be low church background, where there's more free expression and prayer and standing and sitting and guitars and lights and things like that. And we may not even realize there is a prescribed order that we are following, but there is an order. And it might be high liturgy or low liturgy, but there is a simple liturgy that those who have put the service together are trying to follow. 
Some are written and some are unwritten, but there is liturgy. The same idea, though, is true when it comes to life. We have an order we're trying to follow. For example, the world wants to shape us that we might follow in its image, value what it values in reference to the home, to the family, to the things that we pursue, what we value, what we purchase, the image that we are trying to convey to other people. We are constantly being shaped whether we realize it or not. I see it in my children all the time. In whatever TV shows they watch, YouTube videos, it's constantly shaping what they want, what they desire, what they go after, what they think their peers value. That's why we need to put into our lives counter liturgies, counter practices that help counteract what the world is trying to convey to us, to show us what is very important and how God wants us to live, because our values are different than the world's values. And we have to realize and recognize that this is even happening to us before we can put into place counter habits that will help us to renew our minds so that we might become more and more like Christ. And this is what we're going to be talking about today as we talk about how our digital devices and what we see online and how it influences us and how we need to put into practice some experimental practical ideas that might help us to become more like Jesus and counteract what the world is doing to us. But before that conversation, we want to invite you to be a part of what God has created at Apollos Watered. First, you can be part of what God is doing by sharing this episode with others. Secondly, subscribe to the show and leave a review online because that puts it out there to more people. And third, we need your prayer and financial support. Pray that God would use these episodes to help people around the world grow in their relationship with Jesus. And go to apolloswater.org and hit the Support Us button. Then select the proper amount that helps us rain God's water on the dry soil around the world. Now, for the second part of my conversation with Felicia Wusong. Happy listening. You mentioned then this counter narrative. You also talk about a social imaginary. What is, uh, for those that are listening, they may or may have not heard the term, but what is in a social, social imaginary and why is that important? Yeah, so that's a term that Charles Taylor, philosopher, wrote on. And you have a social imaginary is what is actually very close to what I was saying before about a story, right? It is an mm. account of how things are that we all kind of live with, whether it's articulated or not. Um, and so Taylor writes about how every age, uh, every society um, going through a particular era may have a, has a social imaginary about what it means to be human, mm. what it looks like to live well. And so um, arguably, um, our contemporary society in its technological dimensions is training us up in a particular social imaginary, right? About what our, where our worth comes from, um, what community life ought to feel like. Um, and I think that's where the Christian narrative of the kind of biblical arc of of creation, fall, and redemption—you know that that 
that creates a kind of shape for a social imaginary about what what our lives are about, where are we situated in the creation, fall, and, er- uh, and redemption narrative. But it's, I think, something that Christians, we have, like we have this resource. But I think so many of us tend to live into a Christianity that is more focused on um, morality issues or certain kinds of personal piety um, rather than kind of fully engaging in this story that we are inevitably, we're all living into some story, um, whether we know it or not. So looking at that for the social imaginary, and you you mentioned that it's forming us. I mean, this, this idea that we have of who we should be, where we're at, and that's created through media has shaped that as, as some have said and used different terms, but they said, now it's catechizing us. You mentioned liturgy and a counter liturgy or a secular mm-hmm. liturgy, very, very, very similar. But we do know that it's forming us spiritually. How can we counter that? And how do we embrace this idea of a counter liturgy? So I guess I have two questions. First of all, how is it forming us spiritually in how we live? Mm-hmm. And then two, what what is the best way to counter that? And, and I I have to say that I do love the fact that you say. I'm not exactly sure, but we're going to experiment and try. (laughs) Let's try some stuff here because no one knows for sure yet. But describe how it's forming us spiritually and then delve into a bit on this idea of counter liturgy or counter catechesis, in other words, Mm -hmm. uh, and how we how we go about having our lives Mm -hmm. shaped in that regard. Not only in some of the things I talked about earlier about how we might find our worth on social media and and through productivity, but I think it's also forming us in the things that we're not doing. (laughs) And and so we are busying ourselves with so much because there is so much to attend to, but we are not tending to the disciplines, you know, the spiritual disciplines, the things that we may actually know we need to be tending to if, if, we, wish, if we wish to pursue um, a certain kind of, of uh, discipleship of, of following after of Christ. So something as, as very basic as a Christian tradition of waking up and having the first thing you do be your time of prayer and reading scripture and maybe and or going to bed and the last thing you do is praying and reading scripture right that's a a kind of common practice that certainly I grew up learning what I should be doing as a Christian right that that would be good for me and how it is that when we go to sleep nowadays with our phones right next to us Um, it's so much easier or um, we often just have become habituated to actually pick up our phones and check our emails first or the news or the weather or whatever it else has the social media feed and so forth. And so then our minds are flooded with everything and, and, and maybe we proceed prayer and, and scripture reading, but, but the idea is that and, and this is what I love about Jamie Smith's, what I found so helpful about his work is this reminder that as human beings, we are not 
only minds. <laughs> we aren't just these kind of machines that are like, like processing information, right? And I can mm -hmm. process the news and process all the emails. And it doesn't matter if the order is different, right? Like I do that first and then I go pray and read the Bible. What Smith writes about and what he reminds us, not only are we as human beings, creatures of appetite, we have bodies that our bodily practice actually matter. They, they mm. do shape us. And it's such an interesting sort of outside in type of understanding of transformation, right? I think so often we think of it as an inside out, like we believe right. certain things, we commit to certain things. And then as we commit and believe them strong enough, it comes out. This is a very outside in, a sort of athletic um, or what I think of as like artists and musicians know this. You, you do the exercises, you train, you do the reps so that you become a certain kind of player, a certain kind of athlete, a kind of musician or artist. And so the idea is our bodies matter. It matters. First thing we do when we wake up is read the Bible and pray. Like mm. it actually matters to our bodies that, that we enact that, that we live it at rather than checking our email or the news. Right. And so, so I think it's in these really small things, um, that arguably are shaping us spiritually, um, because it's, it's in many ways, I think of it as like, it's expressing what we are grounding ourselves in. Like when mm. I check my email first, when I wake up, it's expressing my anxiety about my day and that's grounded in. But if I am able to train myself into a life where I am praying first, I am reading the scriptures first, that is expressing a, a, a kind of belief that no my day is actually grounded in this it is grounded in the prayer it is grounded in the scriptures um and i don't know if that always works for me we might be saying this to ourselves but i know my lord jesus did this so i'm just going to keep doing it <laughs> until i can find my way into that and so i think that's where the counter liturgy idea or the counter catechesis as you mentioned mm -hmm. is super helpful because um, as, as Smith writes, and I kind of adopt this is that we all live out these secular liturgies that are forming us. Mm -hmm. If we just do whatever our culture suggests or, or expects of us, um, what we need to be doing as people of faith is actually engaging in counter liturgies that try to push back against the world these these kind of standard digital routines are are really directing us away from the kingdom of god right? we want to practice things that kind of direct us back um and and so that could look like a lot of different things right like mm -hmm. i used some pretty standard pious examples like praying and reading the bible but you know i'm thinking about um uh, Tish Harrison Warren's book, uh, Liturgy of the Ordinary, right? And she talks about how just making her bed, this act of creating order, bringing beauty to her, her room of rest is, is part of her liturgy, uh, is, is, has become a spiritual practice for her. 
um, especially because that's not what she's inclined to do. Right? <laughs> um, and, and so I think the idea of, of counter liturgies is, is um, very attractive to me. And, and I would hope for listeners and readers, um, especially when thought of as experiments, because you know, I, I mentioned in the book that I am someone that just, I cannot keep to a new year's resolution ever. I can't keep to a fitness plan. Like I'm so bad at diets, like any of those 30 day, anything I like never make it to even past day five. Right. Like I just, I, I'm, I don't know what it is. And, and, and not only do I not make it, but I always feel this very distinct sense of failure um, and, and shame. Right. And I feel like especially with technology and, and depending on what kind of Christian tradition you may have grown up with, there's plenty of shame and guilt to go around already. Right? <laughs> like, they don't need to add to it. And, and I certainly don't need it. And so I, I think the idea of experiments is partly about that. Like we don't need to set a bar like that we all need to like, and the truth of the matter different kinds of people. Like, Mm -hmm. I think technology affects us in different ways, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's what age you are or just what your quality is. um, We're just different kinds of people and certain kinds of activities will impact us differently. And so that's why we need to experiment so that we come to a greater self-awareness of like, how is affecting me now that I am more aware of it? What can I be doing given no to be my commitment? Follow Jesus, right? To grow in my discipleship. Experiments like monotasking or experiments like, hey, I'm I'm gonna try going to sleep without my phone next to me. I'm gonna put it outside of my room, right? Or I'm gonna put it on the other side of my house. Let's just see what happens. And we discover either we feel more relaxed or we feel anxious, then that those are interesting prompts for us to be like, oh, what's that about? Like, why am I feeling anxious? Um, and so maybe it's my sociologist self, you know, always interested in gathering data. It's sort of like the experiments is about helping you gather data, really, about yeah. yourself. And then taking the time to reflect on it and be like, hey, what's that about? Do I need to be praying about this? Is this a hangup that I have? Um, and, 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 you know, being gentle with yourself, quite frankly, in the process, because these are hard worn habits that are deeply ingrained in us um, that will take time to, to, to keep, you know, keep at. We're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors and we'll be right back. The most important Bible translation is the one you read. At Apollos Watered, we use several different translations when we're studying, preaching, or teaching. But again and again, we keep coming back to the New Living Translation, the NLT. That's why we are excited to partner together. We are united in the belief that understanding the Bible changes everything. Because if you can't understand it, then you won't read it. We want you to know the God of the Bible, to water your faith so that you will water your world. That's why we recommend getting an NLT. It's the Bible in the language we speak. It's not foreign or complicated, but up close and personal. To save some money, go to Tyndale.com. Use the promo code NLTBibles. It will give you 15% off. 
There's an NLT for everyone, from kids to adults, devotional Bibles, study Bibles, and so much more. Get one today, because understanding the Bible changes everything, and the NLT is the Bible you can understand. I think it's also so different. Yes, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. And I think he tweeted that. Um, Definitely. <laughs> because I look at what previous generations have dealt with. And I don't remember if it's your book or another book that I've read recently where they had the quote on uh, from the 1940s. I want to say from like Scientific American and it said, like, computers in the future will be under 45 tons. And, you know, it's one of those things where you go, we're, com- we're carrying that in our pocket now. And our, our parents and grandparents, while they were formed by their own time, um, we've been uniquely formed. And for you and myself, like, we're at that age where we have gone through that process as that technology was mm-hmm. maturing. But we knew what it was like before that mm-hmm. in some way mm-hmm. my children don't mm-hmm. the, that's the world they live in and when mm-hmm. i when i see my 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 daughter she pretty much just takes a photo of herself every day mm-hmm. that she sends to her friends mm-hmm. and i'm like do they really need to see a photo of you mm-hmm. all the time or i see uh i noticed this first not with my kids but with my brother-in-law he'd been in korea and he had come back mm. And he was taking photos of his food. And that was my first time noticing that. I'm sure it was in other cultures and not just in Korea, but I'm like, why do you, why are you taking a picture of your food? It's just like every moment of all we're on all the time. And some would say, what's the problem with that? Why is that an issue? It's not that big a deal. This is the way the world works. This is how we, we, capitalize. We have to beat the algorithm. This is what you need to do to succeed. I mean, you've heard all of these different arguments. How do we respond to that? Because I can hear right now, I can hear some pastors say to me, this is great in theory. This is great, but I've got a business to run or not a pastor, but uh, someone with that type of mentality. This is the way the world works now. How do you respond to that? Number one, and I think I know your answer. Um, actually, I want to hear your answer and then we'll come back because I have another part to that. Mm, Okay. I think one way I would respond is to say, well, we think that taking pictures of ourselves every day isn't really doing anything. Like it's, it's just not a big deal, you know? Um, but if we think about the formative nature of liturgies, um, the smallest things, you know, like, why do you have to kneel? Why do you have to raise your hands when you sing? You know, thinking about kind of traditional Sunday worship types of liturgy. It's like, well, in the end of the day, when you keep doing it, it actually does shape you. It, it shapes It shapes your your imagination of who God is. It shapes your imagination of who you are, right? When you're in, in that worship stance. Um, we don't see it at the moment, because our bodies do shape, we are trained like athletes and musicians and artists, we are trained in that. And so I think to say that we're not formed is naive. As to the protestation of like, well, this is what I have to do. This is the world, the way the world is. I think, unfortunately, at least for a person of faith, seems like a pretty lame excuse (laughs) 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 to be frank 
Um, uh, just because and that's how we lost like... half our audience. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. No, but it just, no, I'm just kidding. I'm messing around. It Go just ahead. feels like, you know, I mean, the movement that Jesus started, you know, like it was against the world, you know, like it was yeah. countercultural. I mean, the Beatitudes, like that's what you'd say to the Beatitudes, like this is insane. Like who does this? Right. Mm -hmm. Like this doesn't make any sense. Like who? that's ridiculous. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's to me, that's the sticking point. It's sort of like if you're a person of faith, you're going to need to decide, <laughs> like, what is this about? You know, like, are we just playing church? Are we just playing like, oh, I'm nice, moral, decent person, you know, like I'm nice to people, you know, I give to charity, I give to good causes. Or are we really committed to following the Jesus that is in the goal, who is incredibly countercultural um, in so many ways, so many ways beyond um, what so many of us talk about? Um, I guess the last thing I would say is let's look at the fruit of the mm -hmm. lives that we're living. Um, I think there is just so much fatigue that people oh are experiencing gosh, yeah. and so much stress in the keeping up that to me, it's just like, I don't think we were meant to live this way, you know, and, and everyone sees it, right? Silicon Valley people see it. Yeah. Young people are talking about it. Everyone's freaking out. <laughs> and yeah, right. so it just, it, the fruit of it is not good. And the truth of the matter is, and I say this in the book, you know, we've been talking about social media. We've been talking about even our own Gen X experience of, you know, the transition uh, that we've experienced, you know, we've witnessed in our lives. It's like what I write about, you know, these immediate sorts of what technology looks like now is nothing like what it's going to look like in 50 years. Like it's we're, like what we're talking about now is peanuts compared to what who knows what it's going to be. And so that's why it's, to me, it's like, it's like, yes, we need to figure out how to live with the digital situation that we have right now. But in the end of the day, you need to know what kind of life and what kind of person you actually want to have and live into, because the tech is always going to be changing, but you need to have a clearer vision right? Of like, what am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing here? And what do I really, you know, when I look back at the end of my days, do I really want to have just thought like, gosh, I spent all that time trying to keep my inbox at zero, right? It's just like, <laughs> how sad is that? Right? It's just, I just, I think none of us would want that. Like we want to look back, you know, we all know what we want to see, right? We want to see, people that love us that we belong to right we want to see certain things that are not about so much yeah. of what this digital story trains us into and so mm. you know we got to get on it then and be like well how do i start to move towards that it was kj johnson who's the director of the c.s lewis institute and he mentioned the difference between resume virtues and obituary virtues what I admire, though, what you're saying, and I'm also scared to death because you said, where is it going to be in 50 years? Of course, I can't imagine that. The metaverse freaks me out 
already. And I have this feeling in my head of second life again. It's like second life <laughs> from the office where you have second, second life where Dwight is further removed from reality. And I'm like, that's where we're going. But people are talking about real estate and money and then you get into Bitcoin and it's even further. And now I'm beginning to feel like my grandfather 30 years ago when his grandson, you know, had to program his VCR. I'm that old guy now. <laughs> That's what it feels like. But this is where I love what you're at because you're taking the, the ancient practices of our faith and you're saying these liturgies, these, this work of the people, these holy habits that we have conditioned of ourselves or been taught to us in community and congregational life that we do collectively and hopefully also do individually are to act as a, a pushback to the world, to say my rhythm is different than what the rhythm of the world is. I, I read a book years ago. There was a, a two books that came out on balance is just not ever possible. Instead, mm -hmm. it's rhythm. Mm -hmm. The difference in scripture between Kairos and Kronos. You know, Kronos are the things that repeat. Kairos are the moments that we have to seize. And again, this finding the, the, I hate to say the divine rhythm, or as Ruth Haley Barton says, sacred rhythms. I'm seeing more and more on this. Mm. You mentioned the practice of Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And I thought it's so crazy to me that no matter how much we advance, all of these solutions have always been there, but it's, it's mm -hmm. taking that time for sacred space and sacred mm -hmm. place. Describe why you put Sabbath and this principle practice of Sabbath in the book. Mm -hmm. Well, I think um, observing the Sabbath has always been one of the disciplines um, mm -hmm. that um, Christians have talked about. And it's a practice that's a stop on the drive for productivity. Mm -hmm. um, that we see, and certainly the, the kind of 27-ness of our digital uh, world. I also put it in there, and I don't really write about it a whole lot, you know, and I think you always, with authors, you know, we end up writing about things we're wrestling with ourselves. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I struggle with keeping the Sabbath. You know, it's it's really... I just, I don't know, you know, it's really challenging for me. When I, when I came across um, Abraham Heschel's mm -hmm. essay on the Sabbath, I just found it really helpful, kind of different understanding of Sabbath than I had been um, exposed to before. And so I, I think I, I'd always kind of thought of Sabbath as sort of ceasing, right? Ceasing work, mm -hmm. um, ceasing productivity, which is what I just mentioned earlier. Heschel writes about this, this much more um, robust notion of, of the Sabbath as, as almost having um, a kind of, a kind of being, <laughs> right? This, he talks about the, how, um, how the Sabbath, God, God resting on the seventh day, that that, that day had was was deemed holy um the first thing to be deemed holy not a place not a person which is so weird to me but like i don't think <laughs> like time as being something to be holy right that's like 
kind of abstract and ephemeral, like hard to grasp. Mm -hmm. But but I think this notion that that God actually created this holy day as a gift that we are invited into, or as Heschel writes, that there, there's, you know, the Sabbath is knocking at our door and we're, we're to open the, say, come in. Um, and we're supposed to have a party. That sort of um, delight and expectation of being able to invite a guest in who you are very excited to see, who doesn't want that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, especially after a very long week. And and I think for many of us who do feel the fatigue and the stress, I think we struggle with the, well, how am I going to stop this for 24 hours or even six hours? But to, to, to kind of switch it up and say, no, 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 we're not just doing this discipline of like, okay, I got to stop work and go pray for six hours or whatever <laughs> we think the Sabbath is supposed to be. But to actually start to believe that God wants us to delight and to celebrate, to actually believe that, that he wants us to feast instead of living scarcity all the time. The sense of, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough strength. I can't keep my eyes open when I got to keep doing these things, right? To believe that our God longs for us to enjoy the feast, Mm. you know, that is something that I find incredibly attractive (laughs) and so hard to believe at the same time, you know, in my own discipleship, in my own kind of imagination. um, I know that's something that I need to keep praying and living into um, because I am my someone so formed out of the productivity mentality um, that my worth comes out of of how much I have done. And so I, I think the Sabbath to me is for a community, especially. So mm-hmm. we can think about individual setting, but if we think about it for, as a community, I think it's such an challenge for the church um, actually in this particular day, because, you know, with the pandemic, so many churches have had to go online, of course, mm-hmm. um, now that they're returning back to in-person you know, a lot of my students are very frank with me about saying, I'm not sure why I need to go back. Like mm. I can watch any church service I want online. Yeah. Like, why do I need to go back to some local, you know, church service? Here's this other one that's like highly produced and slick and so much more, you know, <laughs> whatever, yeah. which is such an interesting and insightful observation, I think, um, because it, it kind of asked our local church communities, well, what are we doing on those Sunday mornings that isn't something someone can just find online somewhere else or listen to some podcast and get fed the same way? What are we doing Mm -hmm. there that would actually be something that people look at from the outside and they're like, I want to be there, <laughs> right? Like right, right. I want to hang out with those people who are having fun. I want to be with those people. They're living that I want. Like, what is that? That, cause I just feel like 
Sabbath is is supposed to be that. It's right. that sort of like celebration that when someone's passing the door, they're like, I wish I was at that party. That's the Sabbath that God is saying, yeah, you know, like this is this is what I want my children to enjoy. And and so I think it is it is a, a really interesting and and deep challenge for churches today of just like, what are we doing on our Sunday mornings that aren't just calling our parishioners to be watching passively that they can kind of replicate when they're at home? Um, and even if it in a second best kind of way, what, are we, what, what is it that would actually warrant getting them out of their houses <laughs> to be with, with each other? Well, I, I think you bring up a very good point because even when I was uh, pastoring right before the pandemic, one of the frustrating things that I felt we had done was we were so high on knowledge and hear, hearing the message is great and it should be a part of it. But the idea of participation and in my specific tribe of evangelicalism or my clan, if you will, there wasn't a lot for the other senses. It was just listening. Matter of fact, there wasn't even a, a thought about it. And I think of Kevin Van Hooser when he talks about the gospel as a performative act mm. and our participation within that. And I don't think people think about being a participant mm. in it. This is where mm -hmm. we go back to the talking about modernity and how it shaped us. And we have the experts and the specialized individuals mm -hmm. and we go to get our specialized Ted talk, if you will, <laughs> right. our spiritual Ted talk. And yeah. instead though, to see that it's a convert, I mean, it is, it is a proclamation, but it's a proclamation of how we are to be participants within that. And that, and, that, and again, that, that instruction or that proclamation in, is in some way the counter liturgy the, the words of, 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 of how or where we need to go about that counter liturgy. It, mm -hmm. It's my, my belief that the gospel affirms something in every single culture, no matter where it's at, but it also challenges something in every culture. Mm -hmm. and, it, and we have to find that. But I think with globalization mm -hmm. and with technology, that's part of where the gospel has to be a counter narrative mm -hmm. to it and how we go about it. And I'm not sure if it was you had written about it. So forgive me if I get this wrong, but there was a, a, a moment where someone was talking about technology in within certain religious contexts where they had to leave their cell phones outside of the, was that you that wrote that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Where, yeah. where was that? In the Jewish, in the, in the Jewish temple. Yeah. So they, so they leave they, the yeah, phones. They, it wasn't actually, they didn't have to leave it outside, but there was just a reminder in the program. Like it said, this is a sacred space. Wow. Please be sure to quiet or shut off any devices um, for the time being. I thought it was so powerful. Mm -hmm. Well, because we have so many people that today just they forget and everyone forgets about it every time I turn around. It's just part and parcel. Mm -hmm. I, I was in a prayer meeting the other night mm -hmm. and a woman had a song go on that was just not conducive to prayer. <laughs> <laughs> it was not, you know, it's like, all right, that was not worshipful at all. <laughs> at all. It, going back to embodiment for a minute. Because you mentioned being together as a collective. Why is embodiment so essential to be a counter liturgy to mm -hmm. our technologically saturated culture? Yeah. Well, 
so much of our digital technologies are freeing us from our bodies. Mm -hmm. um, we don't have to be physically present, you know, to do work, to do school, to do church, all of these things. Um, and there's always been a, a, a culture in the early internet origins of, of a station of that, you know, um, that we would be freed from these bodies, you know, and it, and it has this whole Gnostic kind of flavor uh -huh. to it, that, that it is our minds that represent our true essence, you know, and I think there's, um, for some communities um, and, and for particular life situations, um, that can be really helpful. Like if you are someone that is wheelchair bound and every time you encounter someone in, in real, you know, embodied interaction, you know, that becomes a stumbling for someone really seeing who you are, right? Because mm -hmm. all they see is a wheelchair. Yeah, amen. You know, being online um, where you're not, that isn't a part of what someone sees of you um, can be incredibly empowering and important. Um, but with that said, I think, um, certainly within the Christian faith, um, embodiment is something that we, we have to deal with, um, because we have this whole thing called the incarnation of Jesus, um, that's Ever sort of at, of the, at the <laughs> right, of things, which is, you know, I mean, yeah, it's powerful to really think about like that have to happen. You know, why yeah. did why did Jesus have to be in human bodily form? Why did he have to suffer bodily? Like there's lots of different ways to suffer. Um why the crucifixion? Why the resurrection? Like why why bodily resurrect, right? Like there's so many other ways, you know, why couldn't he just whisk around like a ghost, you know? Um so I think there's something essential and beautiful about our embodiment that so many mm -hmm. of us as Christians have still yet to discover. Um, and again, um, and this is where, you know, I grew up in East Baptist, but I think of myself as someone who's Anglican now. Um, I think I have come to learn um, the, the preciousness of embodied practices um, mm -hmm. in, in Sunday, uh, church world, right? That, that there are times when my body can express, um, what, who, where I'm at in ways that I, I don't have words. I don't even have thoughts sometimes to know how to articulate, but my body can express it, um, through the kneeling or the bowing or the standing. And like you said about senses, right? you know, whether it's the music or if if there's incense at thing, right? Um, to to feel um, grounded in my body um, is something that I myself have come to learn is mm -hmm. is part of my own um, discipleship and and faith journey. I mean, I think so many people during the pandemic have come to realize how how important it is to be embodied when we are with other people right we have missed it so much mm -hmm. um that you know that's the one hopefulness i have with the pandemic right is that maybe it it created such um it it took away things that we had taken for granted that we could be embodied with co-work people at church right it took it away 
um, mm-hmm. so that when we finally could be back together, we could we could reappreciate how how wonderful um, and challenging mm-hmm. it can be to be together. Mm-hmm. Um, but that there yeah. really is something qualitatively different and important about being in person um, that that we just can't quite replicate um, through the screen. I hate to do this, but we are out of time. And I just wanted to say thank you for writing this book and thank you for coming on the show. It was a blast. It's been a, it's been really fun. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Restless devices. That's what they they make us, restless. Not rest. I don't need to be restless. I need rest. And I constantly see how the world is shaping me, and I desperately want out. Maybe you're the same. Our tech is great. It's a fantastic tool, and it's a powerful one. However, I think we need to stop and recognize its power and see that the promises can turn to pain as convenience turns to chains. Our everyday habits are forming us, and we need to recognize it and counteract that by putting in the proper practices, exercises, into our lives to counteract this life-shaping narrative. Felicia's book is actually a good start. You've heard us talk a lot about the Freedom Project, these experimental practices that she has in the back of each chapter of her book that we can do every day because that helps shape and redirect us. And just some examples that might mean having a station you plug your phone into outside of your bedroom, not having it at the dining room table when you're eating, or putting your phone to bed, just like we do with our kids. Or when you get up in the morning and not scrolling through your feed in bed or checking your email, rather opening the word of God and praying instead. As I said before, these are just some of the things that we can do. But we can do it. To not do anything is actually doing something. And that's allowing ourselves to be carried on by the rapids of our culture, crashing into the rocks of whatever is happening now. Instead, we need to step away from the current and look to the Christ, focusing our eyes on him, the author of our salvation, savoring him and allowing him to shape us. Again, I want to thank you for listening and being with us today. Check us out at apolloswater.org. And if you want to support us, go to apolloswater.org and hit the support us button. Then select the proper amount that helps us rain God's water on the dry soil around the world. And much thanks to our Apollos Water team of Kevin, Melissa, Donovan, Eliana, Rebecca, and Audrey. Water your faith, water your world. This is Travis Michael Fleming signing off from Apollo's Water. Stay watered, everybody. And I'm on the road.